Galatians chapter 6. So I'm going to look at a familiar passage. Verses 7 through 9. Galatians 6, 7 through 9. The Bible says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall the Spirit reap life everlasting. Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Be not deceived. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity and privilege is ours to open your precious word tonight. Thank you for the testimonies of your grace and your mercy to us that is sufficient for every need. Father, we thank you for the blessings that you bestowed upon us so abundantly that many times we take for granted. I pray that you'd help us tonight as we look into the word of God to be once again reminded and encouraged to be warned that the choices we make in life have consequences. There, there are rewards that can be good or evil depending on the choices we make. But the choice is ours. So, Father, help us. Give us wisdom. Help our young people, Father, to really uh, to consider seriously the choices they make in life. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, we live in a day of great, and I say great, great deception. You know, the Bible talks about a falling away that would come, or we call it apostasy. Second Timothy chapter 3, Paul wrote to Timothy, This know also in the last days should be perilous times, men should be lovers of their own selves, and so on and so forth. And they, he said they would have a form of godliness, but deny the power thereof. It kind of reminds me of the book of Judges that we've been looking at in adult Sunday school class. You know, they had a form of godliness. They had a form of worshiping God, but was not according to the word of God. We see a lot of that in our land today. You know, Colossians warns us in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 8. Colossians 2 and verse 8, where the Bible says, Beware lest any man spoil you, that is, ruin you, through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men and after the remudiments of the world, it is the first things of the world, and not after Christ. And so there is a great deception in our world today. And I'm going to look at several things. First of all, there's a great deception about what salvation is. About what salvation is. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 to 23, Matthew 7, verse 21 to 23, the Bible says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? In thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. And then when I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. 
you know, to our minds, to our thinking, to most people's thinking, many times we would think, how can it be possible for somebody to stand behind a pulpit like this and pretend to preach the Word of God and not even be born again? That's exactly what the Bible is saying here. They prophesied in my name. Or go out and tell others. And not be born again. Or cast out devils. You know, there was some sons of Sceva. was in Acts chapter uh, 13, somewhere along there, who cast out devils in Paul's name. Um, they've done many wonderful works. Many people do wonderful works, you know, uh, helping poor people and, and uh, to charities and, and, and all these kind of things. But, but he said, you know, and so there's, and they do it in the name of God. And yet the Bible says here that God's going to say, I never knew you. I never knew you. Proverbs 14.12 says, There is a way that seemeth right unto man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. You see, salvation is not just words a person says or a way of life somebody lives, although there is a way of life that a Christian lives. It is a birth. It is a birth. It is being born again. It is being being given new life. It is a heart change. In Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, and these, again, these are familiar verses. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Now, many have given us the idea that we simply confess with mouth, we pray, and ask the Lord to save us, we're automatically saved. Maybe. It doesn't say that we are saved because we pray a prayer. It says because of the condition of the heart. Thou shalt believe in thine heart. For with the heart... When he's talking about the heart, he's not talking about that organ that pumps blood throughout a body. He's talking about the will. The will of man. With the heart. So the idea here is with a surrendered will. That's what brings salvation, is a surrendered will. A surrender of the will. A change of the will or a change of a desire to do. Uh, look in uh, Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8 and verse 35 through 38 in the story, the account of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. In Acts chapter 8, verse 35, it says, Then Philip opened his mouth and began the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. And as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, Thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And right there he got down and prayed and asked the Lord to save him. No, he did not. He simply says, 
I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Verse 38, 38 says, And he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went down, both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. Now, what's significant about the answer that the Ethiopian eunuch gave is this. When he says, I believe that Jesus Christ, Jesus speaks of his humanity, Christ speaks of his deity. God with us, the Messiah. And what the eunuch is simply saying is, I acknowledge that Jesus Christ is the Lord and he is, I am making him or believing in him as my Lord. That's a surrender of the will. Surrender of the will. And of course, baptism speaks of death and resurrection. Dying to self, resurrecting to new life. And I believe that Philip, in his preaching, obviously told him something about the significance of baptism because that's why he asked, what doth hinder me from being baptized? To illustrate this, go to Luke chapter 18. And I'm going to go on a rabbit trail or down a train track, but I hope my train has a caboose. Luke chapter 18, and I want to try and illustrate this for you. Luke 18, and verses 18 through 24, you have the account of the rich young ruler. Luke 18, 8, or Luke, yeah, Luke 18, 18. A certain ruler asked him, saying, Good master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? None is good, save one, that is God. Now, See, one of the problems that right away that Jesus addresses here is he calls him a good master. Jesus is not just a good master. And that's why he said to him, why callest me? He's clarifying to the, the, the rich young ruler who he really is. Why callest thou me good? There is none good, save one. You see, in our minds, in man's mind, and I'm sure in this rich young ruler line, there's a lot of good people. But Jesus is really good. But there's a lot of good people. But Jesus reminds them there's only one that's really good. Only one. That's God. You see, I'm not just a, another one of your good masters in Israel. I'm distinct. I'm unique. I'm the only begotten Son of God. I am God. He goes on and says, Thou knowest the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor thy father and mother. And he said, All these have I kept from my youth up. Now when Jesus heard these things, he said unto him, Yet lackest thou one thing. So all that thou hast, and distribute unto the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. And when he heard this, he was very sorrowful, for he was very rich. Now, Jesus laid his finger on his idolatry, and that was covetousness. And he says, if you're going to follow me, if you're going to have eternal life, you need to sell all that you have, distribute it poor, and follow me. 
Now go to, with that thought in mind, go to Acts chapter 4 and verse 36. Acts chapter 4 and verse 36. You know, this is a time of of persecution has come upon the church in Jerusalem. Of course, 3,000 have been saved. Uh, and, and there are some are in dire need because of the, of how they are treated when they get saved as Jews. You know, I've talked about that before, how they, they might lose their inheritance, might lose their, their jobs, they might lose their homes because Jews, to, to, for an Orthodox, an Orthodox Jew, if a person in their family is saved and baptized, you are completely cut off. You know, I knew a man in, in, in Altoona that came to a pastor's fellowship, and when he got baptized, his family disowned him, disinherited him, had a funeral service for him. It's that serious to a Jew, North Orthodox Jew. So there were many that were in dire needs, and it says in verse 36, And Joseph, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, now we know Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation. Isn't that interesting? Comfort, you know, we're talking about this morning. A Levite and of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, I am sure that there were other people that had land that didn't sell it. God doesn't ask everyone that comes to him to sell their land. But Barnabas, God had other purposes for Barnabas. And that's why Barnabas, through the leading of the Holy Spirit, sold his land. And gave and brought it to the apostles, laid at the apostles' feet, and so that distribution could be made to those in need. Because, this is what the Lord asked of him. Look, go to chapter 11. And we'll pick up the story of Barnabas. Chapter 11, verse 19. Now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that rose about Stephen traveled as far as Phoenix and what's that place? Cyprus. Didn't we just read about Cyprus? That's where Barnabas was from. And Antioch preached the word to none but unto the Jews only. And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. Then tidings of these things came unto the ears of the church, which is at Jerusalem, and they sent forth Barnabas, that he should go as far as Antioch, who, when he came and had seen the grace of God, was glad and exhorted them all, that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Ghost and of faith, and much people was added unto the Lord. You see, Barnabas, God asked Barnabas to sell your land. This is what meant for Barnabas to be to have the Lord Jesus as his Lord. It meant he sold his land and he became a pastor at Antioch. He actually, I believe, was on church staff first at Jerusalem. You see, God asked the Barnabas to sell his land. You know why? He'd have a hard time managing his land and being a pastor. You know, we don't know what God wanted from the rich young ruler, but whatever it was, he was not willing to do it. 
In other words, he was not willing to surrender his will to the Lord. And he said, no. But here we have a picture of a man who surrendered his will. You know, I'm, again, I'm sure there were others in Israel who got saved, but they used their businesses to earn money to give continually to the church. Just as it does with people today. Not everybody's to sell their, leave everything they have and go to Taiwan or Maine or wherever. But see, this is a picture of what it means when we surrender our life to the Lord. There's evidence that follows it. And this evidence was brought out. I was reading today, I was thinking about this, and I, this, I just real, put these things together. This evidence is brought out in the life of Barnabas very clearly here. You see, he acknowledged the Lord as his Lord. He was willing to sell whatever, because he, he, when he got saved, everything that he had was now the Lord's. And he was willing to use it however the Lord directed him. And for him it meant selling his land. For you it may not be. You know, some go. Barnabas was one who had to go. He ended up going with then with the Lord sent him out then on the first missionary journeys with the Apostle Paul. See, he was one that left all and followed. And it was others who were left behind to support those that left all and followed. But the point here is, he followed the Lord whatever he asked of him. And the rich young ruler was not willing to change his will or surrender his will or his life to the Lord. He said, no, I will not do it. And he went away. As far as we know, he ended up in hell. story is told of a drowning boy struggling in the water. And on the shore stood his mother in agony of fright and grief. By her side stood a strong man, unseemingly indifferent to the boy's fate. Again and again did the suffering mother appeal to him to save her boy. But he made no move. By and by the desperate struggles began to abate. He was losing his strength. Finally he arose to the surface, weak and helpless. At once the strong man leaped into the stream and brought the boy safely to shore. Why did you not save my boy sooner, cried the grateful mother. Madam, I could not save your boy as long as he struggled. He would have dragged us both to certain death. But when he grew weak and ceased to struggle, then it was easy to save him. You know, as long as we struggle to save ourselves, God can't save us. It's when we say, I can't, that God can. You see, salvation is a surrender of the will. It's a surrender of the will. And many are deceived about salvation. Secondly, many are deceived that sin has no 
consequences. Galatians chapter 6, once again, verse 7, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh, shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit, shall the Spirit reap life everlasting. You know, a lot of people think that I won't get caught. It won't happen to me. I'm young. You know, young, a lot of young people say, I'm young. I got life to live. Proverbs says, Boast not thyself of tomorrow, thou knowest not what the day may bring forth. You know, I had cousins. I had a baby die weeks old. For no unseen reason. I knew a pastor had a son killed who was 10 years old in the freakest of shooting accidents. My best friend in the school was killed in a car wreck 21 years old. For some reason, he just pulled out in front of a tractor trailer. No apparent reason. And to make it even more strange, he was on his way to meet someone to talk to him about the Lord. Your death is no respecter of persons. We don't know how long we have to live. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. But one thing is certain. We will reap what we sow. We will reap what we sow. You know, there's three laws to sowing and reaping. You know, we reap what we sow. You know, just look around. If you plant corn, you're going to get corn. If you plant tomatoes, you're going to get tomatoes. You don't get pears off an apple tree. And, if, and the Bible says here you sow to the flesh. You're of the flesh. You're going to reap corruption. Corruption. You know, it's interesting that Jacob deceived his father with a hair of goats. And his sons deceived him with goats. It's interesting, isn't it? You know, and Jacob said this, few and evil have been the days of my pilgrimage. You know, Jacob was always, he was called Jacob, which means supplanter or trickster or deceiver. He was always deceiving somebody out of something. And he ended up being deceived also. His father-in-law changed his wages ten times. He even ended up with a wife he'd intended not to get. And she was ugly. And he wanted a beautiful one. And that's who he thought he was getting. But he had to work another seven years for her. There was a man by the name of Dr. Percival who said to his daughter, his daughter said she wanted to go to the mission field. He said, I will not leave you out of my sight. Well, some year later, he lost his sight. 
And he said, I wouldn't allow God to take you out of my sight, but God has taken my sight from me. Yeah, we always reap what we sow. We reap more than we sow. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, of course, David, and you know the story, David uh, committed adultery with Bathsheba, had Uriah the Hittite killed. And the judgment of God says that it would be fourfold. Sword never depart from his house, child would die. Civil war ensued. And as a result of all that, a child died. Amnon's killed by Absalom. They're both his sons. Absalom rebels against him, and 30,000 men die in a civil war in Israel. And Adonijah rebels against Solomon and is killed. You know, the sword never departed from David's house. His daughter ended up defiled. You reap more than you sow. You know, if you plant corn, you don't get more in return. You say it's crop value. You might, you know, you, may, you could ask David, was it worth it? A little pleasure, was it worth it? He'd say no. Not at all. And of course, we always reap later than we sow. It always comes back to haunt us. But see, we have this idea that sin does not have consequences. If we want to look at Ecclesiastes chapter 8. Ecclesiastes chapter 8. And this was this is this is what a lot of people how do I want to say bank on Ecclesiastes chapter eight, verse eleven through thirteen says this because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is, men is fully set in them to do evil. Though a sinner do evil a hundred times, and his days be prolonged, yet surely I know that it shall be well with them that fear God, which fear before him. But it shall not be well with the wicked, neither shall he prolong his days, which are as a shadow, because he feareth not God. You men think that they can get away with sin because execution is not speedily. But we have to remember there's a God in heaven who keeps accounts. And we're going to reap what we sow. The third thing that people are are deceived about is thinking that the flesh will satisfy them. Look at verse 8 again. For he that soweth to his flesh shall all the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall the Spirit reap life everlasting. You know, so the flesh brings corruption. Sowing the flesh reaps corruption. If you sow the Spirit, it reaps life. You know, when you think of life, how do you describe life? You know, if you, if you, if you, you know, there's a, there's a direct contrast here between corruption and life. If you would look at my garden right now, you would say it's pretty corrupt. Because, you know, I planted, I don't know how many rows of sweet corn, and I bet I could count 
I could probably almost count the stalks on my hands and toes. Something wrong there. There's not much life there. You know, when we think of when we think of corruption, we think of things that are decaying, that are being destroyed, that are hurtful, harmful. But when we think of life, we think of things that are good, full of blessing and goodness. And the Bible says that the flesh, if we sow to the flesh, we're going to reap corruption. You know, people people look to for things to satisfy them, the, the works of the flesh. In Ecclesiastes, again, chapter 2, Solomon sought to satisfy his flesh with things. And, and, uh, and he had things. You know, if any man ever had things, it was Solomon. And so, in Ecclesiastes 2, verses 4 through 11, he said, I made me great works. I built me houses. I planted me vineyards. I made me gardens and orchards. I planted trees and them of all kinds of fruit. I made me pools of water to water therewith the wood that bringeth forth trees. I got me servants and maidens and had servants born in mine house. Also had great possessions of great and small cattle above all that were in Jerusalem before me. I gathered me also silver and gold and peculiar treasure and kings and the provision of the provinces. I got me men singers and women singers and the lights of the sons of men as musical instruments and that of all sorts. So I was great and increased more than all that were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me. And whatsoever mine eyes desire, I kept not from them. I withheld not my heart from any joy, for my heart rejoiced in all my labor, and this was my portion of all my labor. Now you would think, man, this guy had it made. But notice verse 11. Then I looked, and all the works that my hands had wrought, and all the labor that I had labored to do, and behold, all was vanity and vexation of spirit. And there was no prophet under the sun. Now, you can have a lot of things and use it for profit. So do the spirit. But if you're just gathering it for your benefit here on earth, you're going to leave it all behind. It's all, it's, no, it has no eternal value. My cousin said an interesting thing to me a couple years ago. He said his dad told him, you know, he said, you know through your lifetime you gather all this stuff. I, I mean, he, and he had a farm. So when you have a farm, you gather a lot of stuff. And he said, you know, it's harder to get rid of it than it is to gather it. And he had like, I think he had five or, no, he had more than that. Seven kids? The sad thing is, his children fight. I'm thankful my parents didn't have a lot to leave us. That sounds terrible. But we don't have anything to fight over. And we get along. And some of them are envious. You see, all this stuff is just stuff. 
You know, we can use what God has given us for His glory if we use it rightly. But we have to understand the purpose for what God gives us. It isn't just so we can have a lot of stuff. You know, sometimes stuff just clutters your house. It's like weeds in a garden. It just hinders your life. Think of all the time, all this stuff Solomon had took. And he was supposed to be a witness to the nations and all the time he had to spend all governing all this stuff. First Timothy chapter 6. <clears throat> Paul gives us instruction concerning money. A lot of people seek money thinking if they just have a little more, they'll be satisfied. Paul warns us in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world and it's certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be there with content. But they that will, and here, here's the key word, they that will. In other words, their desire, or their heart is set on being rich. He isn't saying it's wrong to be rich. He's saying, where's your heart's desire? And what are you going to do with those riches? They that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition for the love of money is the root of all evil which while some cut it after they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. See, the picture he's painting here is the rich farmer in Luke chapter 12 who, who had an abundant crop. And he said, what am I going to do with all my goods? I know what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build greater barns and then I'll sit back and I'll eat, drink, and be merry. And God said, thou fool, this night thy soul shall be acquired of thee. See, the problem was he wasn't using his abundance for the glory of God. He was just using it to build himself a nice little empire where he could set empire where he could set back and just give orders to servants. Without any interest or consideration for the one who gave him those that abundance. See, it's not wrong to have money. It's not wrong to build wealth. It's what's your goal. What's your desire? What's your heart set on? If your heart is set on riches, it will bring you corruption. I knew a man whose desire in life was to be a millionaire by the time he was 30 years old. 35, I think it was. But it cost him his marriage. See, the flesh won't satisfy. And then, fourthly, and I'm out of time, many are deceived about Judgment Day. We're all going to be judged by God. 2 Corinthians 5, 9, and 10 says we must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. You know, as God's children, we're going to be judged whether our works are good or whether they're evil. Whether they're good, whether they're 
fruits of the Spirit or whether they're worthless. You know, as a child of God, you can do things in the flesh. You can even preach in the flesh. You can sing in the flesh. You can play instruments in the flesh. You can witness in the flesh. You can do all that in the flesh. No, we need to do it in the Spirit. You know, is our works, are, are we being faithful to the Lord? Is our works directed by the Lord? Is our worship directed by the Lord and not by the flesh? So we're going to be judged for our works as God's children. Of course, the unsaved are going to be judged and cast in the lake of fire. Hebrews 9.27 still in the Bible. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. There's, there's a reckoning day coming for all of us. A judgment day. If you're saved tonight, you're going to be judged as a child. You know, my my parents would judge me. And I'm thankful for it now. I wasn't always thankful then. But I'm thankful for it now. But they would judge me. They would examine my works. And God's going to examine our works. Our Heavenly Father. But if you're without Christ, if you've never surrendered your will to the Lord, you're going to be judged and cast into the lake of fire. See, be not deceived. God is not mocked. You're not going to be able to ever say God didn't keep His word. And you can go do what you want. This is the age of grace. You can do what you want. But just remember, God, you're going to have to answer to one day. And his law is, cannot be violated without consequences. Don't forget it, young people. The world makes you think that you can live however you want and there are no consequences. That is a lie of the devil. Just as Moses told the children of Israel in Numbers chapter 32, you can be sure your sin will find you out. Don't be deceived. Don't sow to the flesh. Sow to the Spirit. It may seem discouraging that you don't see fruit, but it says, we shall reap if we Faint not. Don't faint. Be faithful. So, to the Spirit.